0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO News Show. My name is Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Robertson. Jackson, it's over. It's all over. I know. There's no more games to look forward to. There's no more, you know, analysis that we've got to do. No more injury reports. The deed's been done. The Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Philadelphia Eagles, and our Super Bowl champion.
1: It's uh, it's a sad day, but a happy day. Uh, the news show, now we get to recap the Super Bowl, and after this, it's all 2023 stuff. So we have, I mean, all the head coach hirings have done. We can talk about all those. We can start talking about personnel stuff for next year, assistant coach spots getting filled out. I know there's no games to focus on for six months, but... There's a lot of looking forward to the future to do, and we're going to show you how fun that can be today.
0: That we will, but let's start with the game, Jackson. Third most viewed television program in history. And if you look at the top 100 of this list, by the way, it is 80% football games. It is 80% standalone football games. 113 million viewers. Ranks just behind Super Bowl 49 and Super Bowl 51. It's a slight increase from last year's 112.3 million. Record 7 million streams as well, up 18% from a year ago. Biggest peak in audience, Jackson? 118.7 million viewers during that Rihanna halftime show. Second all time behind Left Shark and Katy Perry, coming in with 121 anything on that it it deserves the spectacle that it got i i know we can have a whole conversation about how it ended bit of a you know bit of a sopranos type ending bit of a letdown there uh kind of very abrupt unexpected but up until that point pretty big i like i keep repeating spectacle but it was it was a it was a high flying highlight game and that halftime show was awesome
1: I think 113 million people got what they deserved. And you know what? Like props to Rihanna. That was an awesome halftime show. Probably deserved deserved more than 121 that Katy Perry and Left Sharp got. But we know it's directly correlated to the game as well. Uh, But anyone who has any complaints about that halftime show, I I do not know what to tell you. Uh, You're going to cram 12 songs in there. You're going to perform by yourself, newly pregnant. I mean, Rihanna absolutely smashed it. Uh, As far as the football goes, Kale, I understand people are upset about the holding call at the end. It was a hold. James Bradbury admitted it was a hold. So that's all you really have to say. I get that like contact happens on every play. I think what people are underestimating about that play, too, is it's not just that he held him to, you know, prevent him from going the opposite way. It allowed him to stay with Juju on the route. So he probably felt like it was worse than it looked to us on TV and, yeah, it seems that it had to end that way. But other than that, it was a great game, and I still think the right
0: team won. Eagles didn't make a single stop in the second half, Kale. Not one. We'll get to that holding call in just a bit. Let's <laughs> talk about the on field accolades. Every year, there's a new benchmark set by the Super Bowl, whether it's, you know, how we perceive a team going forward or how members of the Super Bowl-winning team, like, now land in the all-time landscape, we got a couple here. Andy Reid, one of only 14 coaches ever to win two Super Bowls. Mahomes, just the sixth player in NFL history with multiple Super Bowl MVPs and multiple Super Bowl rings. Now the only active quarterback with multiple Super Bowl rings, Jackson. There are three quarterback head coach pairings in the league right now that both have Super Bowls active together. Oh, pair. Sean McVay, Matt Stafford. Yeah. pairs. Sean McVay, Matt Stafford, Andy Reed, Pat Mahomes. Can you give me the third?
1: I mean, how far back are we going here? <laughs> uh, Super Bowls. I mean, it's not Russ.
0: No, I don't think I can. It's, just, it's Russ and Peyton. It's Russ and Peyton what? is the only, th- they don't have to be together. Although oh the only well, you made Super it sound Board like they coach. had to be together. Okay, fine. Well, yeah, because the other two examples are the last two Super Bowls. So, but yeah, there's only three coaches and quarterbacks paired together in the NFL who've both won a Super Bowl. Yeah, well, felt I mean, like that's that was crazy. That's just crazy
1: this. that beyond the past two years, no current head coach and quarterback have won one together. That that might be even crazier, right there. You go back. Three hundred and seventy-five days, and there are no quarterback coach duos that have won one together. I guess Reed and Mahomes
0: had the other one, but you get know what I mean. Yeah, they do have the other one. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'm trying to go back, and they're mostly mostly Brady Belichick. Mostly. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, God. Now I don't know who the coach with uh, Manning was. Uh, you know like Tom? What? You no are? Peyton, Peyton, Whoa. Peyton in Denver.
1: That was that was big. Uh, Gary Kubiak
0: went out on top. Kubiak, yes. one or two years as head coach. Yes, uh, uh, that like. But you go back and you know, then the most recent one after that is is Russ and Carroll. <laughs> like, there's not, not many there. Yeah, Jackson Chad Henney
1: retires. Kid
0: there- two <laughs> anything was possible it was there was there was a world there, there is a reality where henny comes into that game with mahomes on a and ankle and does what henny does wins football games 98 mm. yard touchdown drives picking up fourth downs on scrambles there's a world so true kale uh-huh. jackson though let's Oh, you there's a little bit of a delay, so the time a little bit off. But Jackson, there was some there was some business to be handled off field after this game. And I think it does stem from one uh, one call that you mentioned. Why don't you give us the latest on the the Valentine's Day massacre that was the Juju Smith Schuster tweet?
1: Yeah, I know you say it stems from one call, but I think it's important to note that it really didn't have to. It stems from one man, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, who uh, had some things to get off his chest, it appears. Uh, Not everyone has to be a gracious winner in this world, and he proves it. Uh, Everyone was getting in on the act yesterday, posting their Valentine's Day memes, the fake Valentine's Day cards. And he, of course, just decides to start a whole firestorm with his picture of James Bradbury saying, I'll hold you when it matters the most. Uh, The Eagles, Kale. I don't know if you would have predicted this. The Eagles did not like that. Uh, Fair enough to say. A.J. Brown clapped back first, uh, and I think that he managed to pull off the rare instance of losing the game but still coming out on top in the Twitter brawl. Uh, And I won't read the whole tweet, but the fact that he said, uh, you was on the way out the league before Mahomes resurrected your career on your one-year deal, TikTok boy. I mean, what do you say after that? You get called TikTok boy, and it's a wrap. Uh, anything boy, honestly, Kyle. What what can we say about boys the past few years that hasn't just won arguments? Then CJ Gardner Johnson jumps in. He just makes it straight up ugly, clapping back at Juju Smith-Schuster by uh, his tweet saying, Juju ran from me when I checked him in game. Then 10 got his smoke, which is like actually mean. He actually almost hurt Isaiah Pacheco, and I was impressed that Pacheco was able to finish the game at all. That's when it got ugly. Patrick Mahomes also jumps in as if it wasn't crazy enough. Patrick Mahomes just says, that man must just be bored. I'm assuming he means AJ Brown, but honestly, there's a lot of people in this controversy at this point.
0: It could be Juju. Juju, yeah. he could, it could be, ju- be his own
1: juju, juju wasn't in his
0: contract anymore. Could be anyone. Yeah. Yeah, Juju wasn't at Disney. There's some downtime before the Super Bowl. Maybe he was just, you know, he's in the lab making Valentine's Day memes.
1: Yeah. And then finally, uh, Tyreek Hill
0: from the clouds uh, jumps
1: in. First, he says, uh, like, big boy AJ when AJ Brown says the whole thing. And then uh, after a couple rounds of responses where Juju says uh, he's glad that AJ Brown is finally able to get that all that off his chest, Tyree kill says a uh, man played victim to laughing, crying emojis. And, uh, LOL, I'm logging off here today. So Tyree kill, obviously a big side character in all this being the man who, uh, was replaced in the aggregate, uh, very much Billy bean style in Oakland. So that's, that's your summary of the Twitter beef kale, uh, NFL wide receivers get after it on Twitter. Like none other.
0: What is that? Do you have that off the top of your head? Typical, uh, Typical position player tweets. What is the wide receiver one? It's like the wide receiver
1: one is uh, the enemy speaks softly and carries a knife.
0: Yes, that <laughs> is it, and it's gold, Jackson. I'm glad in our last day covering the 2022 season, we get to sneak a little bit of an old weekend quotes homage in there. This was about as good of a Twitter beef as you could have gotten. It in, it
1: seems like, to be no every- one's totally no one's totally harmed. Yeah, it seems like every Sorry, season ends like this now. Every every football season ends with some kind of crazy Twitter beef because last year we had Eli Apple coming after the entire league, and then oh, the entire man. league comes back after Eli Apple, calls him applesauce.
0: The dust has got to settle at some point, you know? Well, I think... <laughs> well, Jackson, Kansas City Chiefs actively celebrating right now. Their parade buses are going around. Kansas City, the losing team, Jackson, is in the coaching hunt now because two head coaching jobs have been filled and both have been filled by Eagles coordinators. <laughs> Let's start in Indianapolis. Shane Steichen gets the job, head coach. This was news prior to the Super Bowl. I believe we had it on the site sunday morning but the deal got finalized in the days after 37 years old been the eagles coordinator two two years now two years two years now sorry. i don't have this article up uh i was going off of the sheet now i've got to start the uh two years now now very strong offense led the league in offensive rushing DVOA this year, back-to-back seasons in the top 10. Jackson, I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like a good fit. It feels like, one, you know the uh, Colts are going to be developing a guy. They're not going the veteran quarterback route anymore. They are set on taking a rookie quarterback. Steichen has, both with the Chargers and the Eagles, had the responsibility of working with a rookie quarterback on the roster. The Chargers, he crossed over the first year of Justin Herbert. and This year, he's gotten the developmental years of Jalen Hurts as a full-time starter. Colts also very much a run-first team. Eagles have done it for two years now with their running back by committee. Colts have done it with a, like one of the last bell cow backs in the league, truly, Jonathan Taylor. I can't tell you as much about schematic stuff, X's and O's, but just in terms of fit and situation, given the track record Steichen's come from, I love this fit.
1: Yeah. I mean, you had to hire a coach who was going to work directly with your new quarterback because you know, the Colts have been in quarterback purgatory for so long that they're, it's not just that they don't want to be there anymore. It's they physically can't because their fan base will riot. Uh, So they have to bring in a long-term solution to quarterback we don't know who that's going to be yet because of the unique position uh, that the draft has found itself in with the Bears at the top. Uh, are the Colts going to trade up? Are the Texans going to take, you know, Stroud, Young? We we think that maybe based on as things stand right now, it might be C.J. Stroud coming to Indianapolis, but we don't know. We just know that Shane Sykin is going to be a coach for them. And that is a good thing. Uh, just to add on, okay, the Colts. And the year not only ranked dead last in total offensive DVOA and total offensive DYAR among quarterbacks, get a load of these quarterbacks, Kale. Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles, they combine for negative 863 DYAR as a a tandem. Sam Ellinger ends up the best of the three with only minus 211. And my favorite is that Nick Foles in like a game and a half manages negative 293. I mean, this was a quarterback pit like you've never seen sunk before. Uh, and clearly they needed to change something. Steichen, probably as qualified as a name you'll find around the league right now with the exception of probably Eric Biennale, uh, who we can talk more about uh, to, to come in and do this job.
0: At the whole time you're saying that, the second you said Ellinger came out on top, all I could think about was just Colts Nation. We're back. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I don't know if he's coming back, but he might, he could, uh, Jackson well, roster, the other head coaching position, Arizona finally resolved their head coaching vacancy with Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, A somewhat interesting hire because he was not named among the two starters or the two candidates that were considered finalists. Originally, their class was three. Uh, Senior assistant in Pittsburgh, Brian Flores, but former Miami Dolphins head coach. He took the job in Minnesota. That leaves us with two. Bengals defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo. Giants offensive coordinator and former Kansas City Chiefs quarterback coach, Mike Kafka. And they go Gannon, and the Gannon stuff didn't really manifest seemingly until after the Super Bowl, which an interesting game to hire directly off of, but just tackling numbers. He's been the Eagles DC for two years now, jumped from 25th to 6th in defensive DVOA year over year, a league-leading negative 15.5 defensive passing DVOA, Fourth most turnovers in the league. Also a league best 11.2 adjusted sack rate. And just to show how far ahead the Eagles were from the rest of the field. I believe we've brought this up before. I forget where I've thrown this around. But the gap between first place and second place, the Eagles and the Giants, is the same gap, or the Eagles and the Cowboys, sorry, is the gap between the Cowboys in second in 23rd place, which I believe is the Jacksonville Jaguars. But that's how big the gap is. The Eagles were lapping the league in adjusted sack rate.
1: Yeah. But the Eagles have the horses to do that. And the Arizona Cardinals, you know, they got some work to do in terms of filling out a pass rush. They do have that number 3 pick. Love to see them use that on a pass rusher, uh, but clearly a lot to build in Arizona. Before I get into the specifics of the Gannon hire, I will say there is one thing that the Arizona defense very much does have going for them. That's some pretty good safeties, solid secondary. They were the number one pass defense in DVOA against deep passes at negative 36.5%. So clearly something to build on there. However, they were dead last against short passes. So there's really just the the highs and the lows uh, like no other team in the Arizona pass defense. Uh, much, much to try and pick up there. And that's not even getting into the offensive situation. Doesn't look like Kyler Murray is going to be ready to start next season. Probably going to be a rebuilding year for the Cardinals. This higher kill not received all that well by the fan base. You know, you hate to use Twitter as a source, but if you just look in the replies of their, you know, Arizona Cardinals hype video, we got our guy, uh, Jonathan Gannon. Here he is. Uh, it's a lot of very negative sentiments, uh, We'll see somebody just said who uh, a lot of people saying, why would a team who can't win in Arizona hire a coach who can't win in Arizona referencing this past Super Bowl. Uh, so he's got a lot to prove. Uh, clearly, clearly recency bias. You know, the Eagles defense was much better all year than they showed in that game. And honestly, it's hard to look that good against the Patrick Mahomes offense. However, uh, Jonathan Gannon, not coming in with the most goodwill of this year's head
0: coaches. And yet he gets a five-year contract. He sure does.
1: Because so the Cardinals just give out five-year contracts, Kale. Five to seven. They just they just throw
0: money around, it seems. Seven, seven used to be the number. They've hedged. They've come back down to earth since then. Something well, they're like, old. we can
1: pay him for the same amount of time that we're paying Cliff and Steve. Like, we'll just, we'll he, just no, spread all that money out over time.
0: There is a world where Jonathan Gannon completes his head coaching contract and they're still paying Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury. Our Our business, world is it? It's the business of the league. Let's get in. Before we get into the rest of the coordinator news, biggest story coming out of this week, Derek Carr. We're getting into that point where we're sensing a lot of quarterback shuffle going on. And one of the biggest dominoes in that case is Derek Carr. Derek Carr was due $40.4 million guaranteed if he was on the roster Wednesday. Raiders were actively shopping him. However, Carr has a no-trade cause in his contract. He went down to meet with the New Orleans Saints, got dinner with Dennis Allen, got dinner with some of the brass down there, offensive coordinator as well, and then just said, I will not accept a trade to any team. You will cut me. <laughs> and so they did. Derek Carr, official free agent, also has the luxury of signing with any teams uh, early because he was a late cut and he's not part of the uh like end of year shuffle of you know, guys released from their contract on day one of free agency. He can sign beforehand. so he will be courted by you know multiple teams and reportedly, the New Orleans Saints are still in the running, which would just be all time petty, all time petty.
1: But it makes sense too. It's like, why would you want to hamstring your new team by, you know, putting them forty point four more million dollars under the cap when they're already the most cap hamstrung team in the league, coming in negative fifty five million, uh in, in relation to the projected uh, cap for next season, I get that the saints are salary cap wizards and just manage to kick the can further and further down the road every year. But if you're going to go to the saints, don't also make it impossible for them to sign anyone else. So from that, from that perspective, I get it. If Derek Carr does want to end up in new Orleans,
0: Jackson, I, I do want to mention the numbers even worse than you let, let on. According to over the cap, it's negative 59 million. Well, that changed and their effective cap is negative 63. And mm-hmm. They've got 53 players rostered, so actively going to have to cut people and like, you know, I don't know. This is a team that was in worse cap hell last year and still managed to add like Tyron Matthew to their roster, uh, add Jarvis Landry to their receiving core. They've done weirder things before. So it'll be, interesting.
1: Are, you know, the, the college kid just continuing to ask for extensions on his paper and coming up with more and more outlandish excuses for why it hasn't been done yet. And at some point that paper does have to get turned in like the semester doesn't last forever, but the saints are just continuing to find reasons why they can't do it tonight. And I respect
0: it. I really do. Well, we'll definitely be keeping you abreast of that situation. Hopefully on the FO Network in the Break News Channel, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. Do you have any early favorites here? Currently, the teams I've heard: Carolina, New Orleans, considered favorites in there. The New York Jets are obviously in the quarterback market. Have have been tied to both Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr. Do you have any preferred fits for a guy like Carr at this point?
1: I, I've always thought the Jets one made sense if they weren't going to land Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I, Aaron Rodgers isn't sitting in the dark right now, Kale. We have no idea what he's going to do when he comes out. <laughs> so until that, happens, until that happens, I'll leave the Jets out of this. Um, I think a sneaky fit could be Washington, potentially. I haven't heard that one talked about as much, but they're they're in the quarterback market as much as anyone is. Uh, And I like Carolina because we're going to talk about them later in the show, but they're bringing in this entire new cast of characters. And if you're not going to go the rookie route, which you'd probably be more in like the Will Levis conversation than Stroud or Young, then I think a veteran with like more of a proven track record like Carr, maybe not like a proven track record of elite quarterback play, but at least good. uh, I think that would make sense for them as a team that has more talent than most that are looking for a quarterback.
0: Washington is the fascinating one to me in the sense that, listen, I love their receiving core. Like, Terry McClure and Curtis Samuel, I'm even like a, I'm like, Jahan Dotson's in there, but I'm even like a De'Ami Brown guy. Like, I'm convinced he's like a tool that a team could just use. Like, total burner, total like, you know, potentially could win outside, win up the seam. I, I love what they've got there. You know, improvement on offensive line is one thing. But, like, in terms of passing weapons, throw Logan Thomas in there too. Like, they're great. There's a world, Jackson, (laughs) where it's Derek Carr and Eric Bianami just cooking it up in Washington because he's currently vying for the Washington coordinator's offensive coordinator or Washington commander's offensive coordinator job because his contract is up in Kansas City. And we can get to it here before we get to the uh, rest of the coordinator hires. Please, Because none of the head coaching hires and none of the coordinator hires are now two-time Super Bowl champion Eric Bieniemy, who is, uh, I believe, with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, never finished worse than third in offensive DVLA.
1: Yeah, I understand that there's a run on play callers for head coaching positions, but it just stings and is awful that this time last year, Andy Reid stood up in front of NFL ownership like man in a position of power, like using his privilege and gave an impassioned speech as to why, well, not he was openly asking the question why Eric Bianami wasn't getting opportunities for head coaching jobs. And now 10 months later, we're sitting in a position where there were five open head coaching jobs and only one of them even considered him. And it didn't seem like he was close to being a finalist. I, I don't know. Like, Interviewing for a head coach job, even if he's terrible at it, I I don't think like how you interview for the job necessarily correlates to how you do the job. And who over the past half decade has proven that they would do a better job than Eric Biennami, who, like you said, now has two rings on his finger and nobody else who got hired this past offseason has sniffed
0: one yet. And yeah, just to go back to my point, he started as the OC in Kansas City in 2018. Finishes over that period. First, third, second, third, first. Offensive DVOA. Like, I get it's Mahomes, but, like, how can you not? Like, I and still, this team was good the year before Mahomes got there. They were fourth in offensive DVOA. So maybe he's just had, like, a good situation. But at some point, there are teams, there there are coordinators with worse track records that have gotten better opportunities than he's gotten. Like... It's it's pretty confounding. Like Tyree Hill, we brought him up on Twitter. His one thing before he's like, I gotta log off. Well, she does the second three. He's like, also, I have no idea how Eric Bieniemy has not been hired. Lewis Riddick uh called it uh I, I I believe on Twitter he had said this is the worst coaching situation I've seen since the nineties, in terms of uh just coaches not getting opportunities. It's It's astounding that not one team has made an effort in the five years since he has coached this offense that not one team has tried to take the flyer on.
1: Yeah. To the point where now Andy Reid is basically saying like, not I hope he takes another opportunity, but like maybe he should, Uh, because clearly as long as you're in Kansas city and you're not running the show, uh, you know, in the eyes of other people, then you're not going to be the the attractive option because people want someone with that sexy play calling experience. Well, if you wanted proof as to what Eric Bienemy can still bring, even though he hasn't like actively called the plays for the Chiefs offense, everyone's biggest anecdote, especially on film after this game is, wow, the Chiefs caught this read where if they fake jet motion and then bring the receiver back, you know the corners for Philly would just pass off the assignment and leave someone wide open. That was there at the end. I mean, he found that on film and he decided that that was a tweak they could make to their offense. So, just like immediately in the aftermath of the Super Bowl, we're seeing what he can bring to the table uh, just from the outside looking in. You know how much more would we find if we really dug deep and find out what an impact he's had? Because as great as Mahomes and Reed are. You can't ignore the fact that he's been there for all this success too and has definitely played a part of it.
0: With that said, let's get into the coordinators that have been hired. Let's start. We're going back to the uh the quarterback shuffle at this point. Let's start in Baltimore. Baltimore Ravens actively trying to keep Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. He's going to explore his option. Doesn't have an agent. It'll be really interesting to see whether or not they could work something out. But in the meantime, they're going to try as best they can to court up with a new offensive coordinator, and that's George's Todd Munkin. Munkin has NFL experience most recently. Coaching with the Tampa Bay. Oh, sorry. He spent one year as the Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator in 2019. They finished 20th on offensive DVOA that one year. In Tampa Bay, his most recent long-term stint, three years there. 11th and 12th in the last two seasons, respectively. His most recent job, though, has been with the Georgia Bulldogs. He's a back-to-back national champion. And with that, Georgia team has finished top five in offensive score or just top five in scoring twice, back-to-back years. Pretty good gig, if you ask me. In 2022, Georgia finished fifth in all of FBS in both the yards per game and points per game. 501.1 Five hundred and one point one yards per game, forty one point one four points per game. I get it's college football. That's pretty
1: good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, it's a really interesting and fun hire, right? Like I know he has lots of NFL experience. He talked about four years as an NFL coordinator. Uh, he's also a former collegiate head coach. He was at Southern Miss before taking the Bucs job initially. Uh, so he is the only coordinator. Uh, really the only like major hire of this cycle coming from the college ranks as opposed to elsewhere in the NFL. But you're not worried about the experience there. He ran a bit more of an air raid style offense at Georgia than you would expect the Ravens to run with Lamar Jackson. I'm not particularly concerned about that fit though. Uh, And obviously the Ravens do not have Jackson under contract, but there's things to fix and improve upon in this offense in general. Uh, 12th in offensive DVOA as a team, but 19th in weighted DVOA, which more uh, more heavily factors the end of the season, much of which was with Tyler Huntley under center. Uh, and the other thing I would say about Munkin is his success has very much correlated to who his head coach has been. Uh, you look at those Bucks teams that didn't do very well. That was a dirt Cutter run franchise. And then the Browns, his one year there was with Freddie Kitchens, uh, whereas when he goes to Georgia with Kirby Smart, uh, he obviously has great success, and now he's going to be under John Harbaugh, who I think we all have a lot of respect for for the job he's done in the NFL. So I, I like the pairing.
0: It'll be I like what I like about Munkin is he's adaptable. Like he didn't run air raid with Tampa Bay, and they were still like a fringe top ten offense, like very adaptable. But this is a Ravens team that needs to jolt uh, bottom five in yards per game two of the last three years uh, post. Lamar Jackson, MVP. Uh, They could really use a boost. I'll tell you. Let's move on. D'Amico Ryan's Houston Texans have now filled both of their coordinator spots. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Bobby Slowick. San Francisco 49ers. Pass game coordinator. You can imagine that's a pretty good thing to have in the fold getting to pluck one of the guys from one of the better offenses one of the more versatile offenses in the nfl more for a san francisco perspective than a houston perspective shouts out to kyle shanahan who has now been picked dry or at least picked apart in three straight hiring cycles now robert sala mike mcdaniel and now D'Amico ryans it shows just how good of an organization the 49ers have been, and it shows just how adaptable that Kyle Shanahan has been. But under Slowick in 2022, third-best passing offense in the NFL uh, by DVOA. Offense in general for San Francisco finished sixth-best in the league by offensive DVOA. Defensive side of the ball, Texans hire Cardinals defensive line coach Matt Burke previously served as the Dolphins defensive coordinator for two seasons. Those units finished 28th and 26th in defensive DVOA under Burke. Also in the past has held position and coaches uh, or positional coaching roles with the Jets, Eagles, Bengals, Lions, and Titans. So long list there. What what's really interesting to me about Burke is that, like, what he was able to do in Baltimore, uh, Arizona, you spoke more recently, or you spoke when we brought him up, uh, about the Cardinals with safety play, where they're dead last in short yardage DVOA on passing, first in the league in deep passing DVOA. The Cardinals ranked 22nd in defensive rushing DVOA in 2022. But most of their run stopping, if it ever happened, was generated by the defensive line. Their 4.42 adjusted line yards per game, ranked 19th among the league. However, Cardinals defensive line generated a second best power success rate with 60% and a third best 23% stuffed rate. Like, that is all coming from the defensive line there. Because once you get into the open field, Arizona ranks 27th in second-level yards, 25th in open field yards. So like you are running into the line of scrimmage or you're breaking a runoff. Yeah. And in a division, in a division that has Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and Travis Etienne, like, not the worst thing to emphasize. You know what I mean?
1: No, I agree with that. And, and again, like D'Amico Ryans is still gonna be like most of the brain power behind this yeah, defense.
0: Like am saying he
1: just won the or not just any coordinator, the assistant coach of the year award. Uh, So he's, he's obviously coming in to be like the main mastermind behind it. And if you're bringing in someone who kind of specializes in defensive line play, which, you know, wasn't the, uh, I mean, D'Amico Ryan didn't play defensive line when he was an NFL pro bowler. uh, So it makes sense to kind of pair that there. Uh, And then maybe you bring in even another coach to be a little more of a specialist in the secondary Uh, And then going back to the offense, I mean, you talk about just like somebody you have familiarity with. They just spent six years together in San Francisco coming in at the exact same time. So if there's anyone who, you know, has that kind of trust uh, and, and, you know, ability to work together on opposite sides of the ball more so than these two, uh, you know, I'd be impressed if that exists around the league because of how much turnover that there really is in the assistant coaching positions in this league. So love that pairing and think that, you know, they're set up. I think you could tell a lot, Kale, about like just the vibes at this point in the offseason around hirings and teams that are, you know, quickly filling out these positions and are are excited about the people they're bringing in. And we're about to talk about another one of those teams that's doing a lot of hiring uh, and the vibes seem to be pretty high. But I think the Texans, you know, you could say their offseason is off to a good start because there are other teams that are not filling coordinator positions, uh, Tampa Bay, Arizona, for example, open coordinator positions for a while now. Be interested to see, you know, what what the Texans make of this, having hired so quickly.
0: Arizona, I understand not hiring a coordinator when you just locked in Jonathan Gannon, like, yesterday. But Tampa Bay, you know, relatively inexcusable. There are 10 coordinator positions left. Jackson, you are right. The vibes are extremely high in Carolina, of all places. Why don't you tell me about their two new hires, well, I let this dog out. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: we, talked, we talked at length last week. Uh, I believe it's now three weeks in a row for us talking about the Panthers on the news show. First, they hire Frank Reich as head coach. Last week, they come in over the top and steal a Giro Aveiro away from the Broncos as their new defensive coordinator. And this week, still don't have an offensive coordinator officially, but two new hires on the offensive side of the ball. First, the news drops that Jim Caldwell, Former two-time seven-year NFL head coach with Indy and Detroit, uh, is now going to be hired as a senior assistant. Uh, The 68-year-old has a 64-and-54 record as an NFL head coach, including the playoffs. He's also got two Super Bowl rings, Kale. 06 Colts, 2012 Ravens, pretty good track record there. Hasn't been in the league since 2019 when he was the Dolphins assistant head coach and quarterback's coach. Uh, But obviously, Caldwell, somebody with a wealth of football knowledge, uh, and while he won't be in like an official play calling position, will certainly have a lot of influence on overall offensive strategy. They weren't done hiring for offense because just today, it was announced that Parks Frazier, who spent five years, almost five years, in Indianapolis with Frank Reich, is now joining the Panthers coaching staff uh, as an offensive assistant. He was the passing game coordinator in Indy. He'll, actually, he's the passing game coordinator here. He wasn't officially that in Indy, but he took over play-calling duties on the offense when Frank Reich was fired. Uh, if you want to know if Frank Reich and Parks Frazier have a good relationship, Kale Reich officiated Fraser's wedding in 2020. So it appears that they know each other pretty well. Uh, now somebody with NFL play-calling experience joins the staff can't necessarily be a bad thing.
0: That it cannot, that is a tight bond tight bond there i'm i'm very happy about the call while higher like extremely happy about the call while higher just like i don't know I, like parks Frazier, interesting name came up play caller indianapolis like tough situation to be in under saturday you got to rotate you got a revolving door quarterback uh you know your line isn't performing up to snuff you've got pretty consistent injuries to pretty important players. It's a tough team to sort of manage there, but like, I'm excited to see what he's got in store Uh, being able to do it with better wide receivers than uh, you know, the Alec Pierce's and Ashton Doolin's of the world is going to be pretty interesting to see there. No, listen, no hate to them. But like one of the biggest, one of the biggest issues that the Colts have had is just a lack of, lack of talent at the receiver position. So being able to be be a pass game coordinator with, you know, a DJ Moore is, you know, slightly more impactful there. But Caldwell just getting another another opportunity, like, really good to see. Like, I feel like since his Lions days, like he could have had an opportunity to take a coordinator role, a senior analyst role, uh, like just some sort of advisory role. The fact he's landing here on a roster with, You know, a strong head coach in Frank Reich, a really good DC and a hero of Arrow that you and I both really like. Like, the pieces are coming together for this to be a really good looking organization. Like, this is something that's got legs. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, they're building a very, like, deep knowledgeable coaching staff. And now you just have to be like, wait, who's going to play quarterback for this team? Uh, you know, I, I know you said DJ Moore is a good talent in the wide receiver room, but other than that, they're pretty thin. Uh, so it's about roster building at this point. Uh, they're clearly, uh, you know, building something that they think is going to, you know, affect, you know, future teams. And, and like, like we also pointed out in the past, this is a team that's in a very, very weak division, So, you know, having like this positive momentum while other teams in the division seem to be floundering and or going backwards is certainly a good thing. I haven't checked the betting odds, but I imagine that the Panthers are near the top in the NFC South for next year. So regardless of, you know, kind of the lack of talent that still exists within the organization, it's clear that there's an excitement around there that, you know, bodes well for next season when, you know, opportunity is right in front of them.
0: Let's move on to New York or I cannot say for me, the vibes are the same. The New York Jets hired Todd Downing as their passing game coordinator, formerly the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator took over after Arthur Smith left for the Atlanta job. Wasn't necessarily the best performance historically for Tennessee. Obviously they have to deal with, uh, from the coaching and just the loss of AJ Brown, uh, I don't think they were the ones advocating uh, to trade away a future top 10 receiver in the league. Uh, but 20th in offensive DVOA 2021, 21st in offensive DVOA in 2022. And this year did not fare as well from the passing category. That it has in past years, 20th in offensive passing DVOA. Jackson, I'm going to ask you what you think about the hire. But this feels, like just to me personally, it feels weird. Because, listen, I'm all for, like, we we compare the Nathaniel Hackett OC hire to the Tobias Fionke. Uh, it doesn't work for anyone, but it may work for us. With Nathaniel Hackett trying to lure Aaron Rodgers here, whatever, Todd Downing's connection tied to Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill, (laughs) like so, like you're fishing, you're fishing for, like this is active recruitment of veteran quarterbacks Mm -hmm. that translate that typically translate offense to offense, but like you're, you're not thinking of scheme here, like you're not thinking of the fact that like Nathaniel Hackett, I understand Nathaniel Hackett like runs an offense that is different from the very specific offense that quarterback Russell Wilson is able to run. But like you pick a guy who flamed out in less than a year, you pick Todd Downing, who by all accounts kind of tried to mimic not mimic, but like, take bits of Arthur Smith's offense to, uh, you know, middling results. It feels like we're missing, like, it feels like the New York jets are just missing the like big picture here. Like like it's, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how this whole picture sort of comes together. And that will not come together until we have the quarterback position. I say we uh, like until, just we as general public have an idea of who the jets are going to take a quarterback who they're connected to, but like at least from an outside perspective, it feels like most of these hires have been done to like bring in a veteran or like, it doesn't feel like it's a larger part of like who the jets have in a Garrett Wilson, who they have in their running back room, you know, pairing, uh, pairing Garrett Wilson with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, these guys, like it doesn't feel like you're working with the pieces you have. It feels like these are hires meant to bring in a quarterback.
1: I kind of respect it in that sense, because it's like they're just covering all their bases. It's almost like whoever you bring in as a veteran quarterback, you have someone in the building who's coached them before and knows their tendencies be really wild at this point if they somehow ended up as the team with Jimmy Garoppolo as their starter because he's the one guy they don't have somebody tied to uh but look veteran presence Kale uh, uh a line from one of my favorite tv shows shoresy everyone go check it out but uh veteran presence and uh as soon as they fire Michael Floor which was I know it was mutually parting ways but we've been wondering who the heck was going to fill out this offensive room are you better off with Nathaniel Hackett and Todd Downing than you were with Michael Floor It doesn't seem like, you know, hardcore Jets fans, people around, you know, football media who have a lot of respect for Mike LaFleur feel that way. Uh, But it's certainly a new direction. And, you know, if you bring in one of those three quarterbacks, you know, no matter how you got there or how many shots you had to take at it, you do have that familiarity. So at least they're not starting from ground zero. And the talent at the quarterback position was the biggest factor as to why they weren't a playoff team this past year.
0: Yes, that was... That was the entire premise of the Jets 2022 almanac chapter: that this team will go as far as their quarterback will take them, and we saw that. Uh, I, I don't know the the prospect of Ryan Tannehill being the like the option you're going for can't be great. It, I like Jets just have to be prime landing spot for Rogers or Carr, or this whole thing goes downhill quickly. In, in my eyes. Uh, let's move on to the team that Todd Downing left. Filling in his position, Tim Kelly, offensive coordinator. This is the third straight internal hire at the offensive coordinator position for the Tennessee Titans in the last four or five years. Tennessee Titans. or No, last two years. Last two years because Arthur Smith left two years ago. Yeah, he didn't get hired two years ago. Sorry?
1: He didn't get hired two years ago. So I think you're right when you say four or five years because he was one of those three hires.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, because they hired once LeFleur left, Arthur. Yeah, okay. I was doing – I was just going from downing. Thank -hmm. you for that. Uh, Joined the Titans in 2022 after being the OC for the Houston Texans for three straight seasons with Houston. Offense has finished 17th and 13th by offensive DVOA before a 30th place finish in 2021. We already said Titans 20th in offensive passing DVOA. It's a thing for me. If you've hit this, like the Titans are the Titans are three years removed from top five offensive DVOA performances. Like, I understand this was with the younger Derrick Henry. It was also a different league where, you know, body like body types weren't as like, it, it was hard to defend Derrick Henry against the run or like as a run defender. Uh, and this is also a team with like Corey Davis and AJ and a young AJ Brown rookie contract, AJ Brown firing on all cylinders. You're just getting Ryan Tannehill into the building and it's night and day from his latter days in Miami with Gase, But like, yeah, listen, you're on your third internal hire. You're not exactly improving on the offensive end either. I just don't see the vision here. I don't see the vision with trying to like, I, I understand like Vrabel is doing a very good job as head coach. The Tennessee Titans defense has improved tremendously under him. On the other side of the ball, it feels like you're just you're just starting to recycle bad water. And it's like, you're not doing much with it here.
1: I get what you're saying. I'm not as concerned about, you know, who you're hiring as your offensive coordinator as I am about the personnel on that offense. And it, it really is a holistic thing where, first of all, first and foremost, you don't know who your quarterback is going to be next year. Second, you did trade away A.J. Brown, which was kind of inexcusable in the moment. You replaced him with a young, talented guy in Traylon Burks, who we both think can be very good, but is yet to be on the field long enough to prove it. Other than that, the wide receiver room is barren. Derrick Henry, I mean, you've been riding the Derrick Henry regression train for three years straight now. I'm sure you won't get off at this offseason. Uh, and, you know,
0: Only obviously two for, years to be fair. Only yards three. And oh, right one.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the yards per carry and DVOA are both down for Derrick Henry, even if he is still putting up 1,500 yards. Uh, so this is an inefficient offense. It's an offense where we don't necessarily think there's depth of talent. We don't know which talent is coming back next year. Uh, and I'm just very concerned overall when you are in a division with teams that are, you know, building in the opposite direction uh, whether that's the Texans starting from square one uh, or the Jaguars, you know, coming off a playoff berth and, you know, only getting more experience at the quarterback position. This is a team in limbo in a division where every other team kind of has a direction.
0: My Fine. thing is they like, like do a good like, job finding young talent, like late talent too, like, Picking up Chagoza Moconquo on like day three of the draft. Nick Westbrook-Akine is a former undrafted free agent. Now you just got to figure out the top end Robert Woods like might be a cap casualty this year, depending on how things shake out. Traylon Burks, like you're investing heavily there. That's the guy you kind of picked as the body type replacement for A.J. Brown. You spent most of the offseason or you spent most of the regular season injured. It'll be really interesting to see how this thing kind of shakes out blank canvas for them. At least they're familiar with the personnel. If they're going to run this back one more year, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, it all is kind of dictated by Tannehill and Tannehill is like right on the boundary of like whether or not you want to keep a quarterback who's put up his type of production. Right. So I could, I could understand it from either side. I could understand them saying we're still in position to compete in this division. Uh, He's been good enough in the past. Let's write it out. Or I could understand them saying, you know, there's, there's better talent to be had out there at some point in the future, whether that's this year, whether that's next year in the draft. Like there are, there are significantly better upsides at the quarterback position than Ryan Tannehill, but significantly, you know, lower downsides. That's kind of the definition of what he's been.
0: Jackson, as always, the thing that predates the Super Bowl, it's the NFL Honors Dinner. Mm. This is where we get all of the awards for the year and all the hall of fame nominations. Let's start on the awards table. Just rattle them off the list. And then we can talk about them. Mahomes wins MVP, Justin Jefferson, offensive player of the year, Nick Bosa, defensive player of the year, Geno Smith, comeback player of the year, Brian Dable, New York giants coach of the year. Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, teammates winning their respective Rookies of the Year positions, believe only the third grouping to do so. Assistant of the Year, you had already mentioned it earlier in the year, D'Amico Ryans, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, Dak Prescott. Before we get into Hall of Fame nominations, what are your thoughts on the awards? Side note, did you watch the awards? Because I did. There was a lot of... It felt very, very, like, late aughts, early 2000s. Like, it sounded like you, you hired, like, YouTube sensation Smoyoho to do your things. If you remember, that's the... Uh, those are the, like, guys that would make, like, the Double Rainbow song or, like, the Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife. Like, turn viral videos into songs because every single... Every single NFL personality, I dropped my mouse. Every single NFL personality was just doing parody Kelly Clarkson songs because she was the host. Uh, Some of these guys have chops, but by the time they got to like their third rendition of a Kelly Clarkson song, I was pretty tapped out.
1: Yeah. uh, George Kittle cannot sing. Kale George Kittle had all the energy behind it. And I wanted to enjoy that performance. He is tone deaf just straight up. (laughs) (laughs) Jackson? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> he tried i'll give him that he definitely tried kelly clarkson is kind of standing on stage like Ooh, so good but also that's not on tune at all like i can't join back in so that was that was my takeaway was yeah just get these guys vocal lessons before you send them out there to sing on national tv
0: uh as far as the awards go george kittle just played in an nfc championship before this game or before yeah. this show He's he can don't don't start booking him vocal coaches in between. What would be a more productive use of his time? Vocal lessons or that Pro
1: Bowl games format? I'm gonna go with the vocal lessons.
0: <laughs> it's a toss up.
1: Yeah. Um, as far as the awards go, uh, the only one that I have like not a gripe, but I, I think we've got to reassess a little bit how we're voting on Coach of the Year. Because every year it just turns out to be like. Oh, the guy whose team was supposed to be terrible and overperformed expectations a little bit, or the first-year head coach who turned a team around. Brian Dable did an awesome job with the Giants this year. I take nothing away from that. They went 3-6-1 and one in their last 10 games. They were a negative DVOA team. They were not very good apart from the fact that they won games early in the season in close fashion. They were well coached, obviously a credit to him. Uh, and they, you know, ended up in, in, you know, fortunate circumstance where there weren't really seven or six good teams in the NFC and they made the playoffs. You look at the job that some of these other guys did that went deep in the playoffs, as it turns out, won, you know, 12, 13 games, whether it was, you know, Andy Reid wasn't even in the discussion for this award in hindsight and think of the job he did this year in replacing Tyree Hill or Kyle Shanahan, you know, I think finished second, but wasn't really, You know, we didn't name him until like two weeks after we picked our winner for this award. We are like, oh, yeah, Kyle Shanahan coached three quarterbacks this year and had the number one offense the second half of the season.
0: To be fair, we talked about Kyle. Like, we on this show advocated it's kind of a two-team race between Dayball and Shanahan, which also discredits like, you know, Andy Reid for doing the like, hey, we're going to trade Tyreek Hill and get more efficient. Like I get it's I get it's you know Belichicky and burnout at that point, but you know he's got to get credit there. I will push back on your Dable stance. I get you know you're looking at an end of season record, you're looking at like how they finished in the back half of the uh, schedule, uh, how they finished holistically as a team with with wide receivers three, five, and six a project quarterback in Saquon Barkley, they finished 10th in offensive DVOA. Like it was a reinvention project for Daniel Jones that hit successfully. You're getting day three guys and UDFAs, like pretty consistent reps offensively and like meaningful, like targets and catches offensively. I like, I get what you're saying that it's just like overperform expectations, but of the, of like the coaches of that ilk, I think Dable is by far the most qualified of those guys just because he did it like in even more adverse circumstances. Shanahan to me, like in terms of actual quarterback performance is like the guy to me, like I think Shanahan could have won it just because of all like the like turnover that he had for lack of a better term. Like when you're going three quarterbacks deep into your roster, you eventually have to go to a fourth in the postseason. I know awards don't count that, but like you're you're facing a lot of adversity and you're still putting up third best passing numbers on offense. Like the help that you had in Debo Kittle and uh McCaffrey are going to take away from that award. But like, you know, Dable like Dable deserves a credit. Probably Shanahan's award to win. But outside of like Andy Reid, I don't know of those five candidates. I, you know, I don't know who you drop there. Like maybe you throw Campbell in for like overperformance, but like, you know, of the guys they hit on, like, I feel like McDermott kind of just got thrown in there, but you know, Peterson being in the mix, like the guys that they had were, you know, the correct guys to target outside of maybe Reid.
1: But my issue isn't with like the list. It's, it's a much bigger issue. And it's again, not not in an effort to discredit Brian Dable individually, but we look back on the history of this award lately and it's really become like the, you know, regular season slightly better than anticipated or even much better than anticipated award instead of like, who's actually, you know, the coach of the year driving the most successful franchise. Like it's, it's really a weird list. That's one. There's been what one coach in the past, uh, since since Bill Belichick in two thousand seven went sixteen and zero and won Coach of the Year, there's been one coach to make the Super Bowl after winning Coach of the Year in the last fifteen years. Like it's a very disjointed list from the teams that actually end up being the most successful teams when we look back on the season. And I'm not sure how we fix that.
0: But like, I'm not giving I'm not giving McDermott this award. Like over Shanahan or uh, Shanahan or Dable, like I'm not giving him the award. Reed is the one I keep throwing out there, but like the mark, like the mark of the improvement is like the only benchmark you really have for this award or like dealing with adversity. Like, I don't know.
1: Well, that's why in hindsight, I would have been more inclined to give it to Shanahan, And I just think like when you look back at the records on the season and how the Niners were really a quarterback at the end, you know, they almost made the Super Bowl with their third quarterback and he ends up getting hurt. Uh, that to me and, and finishing the season 13 and four looks better on the Wikipedia page than O'Brien oh, Dable, nine, seven and one coach of the year. And I'm again, I, I keep like discrediting Brian Dable and I hate that I'm doing that. But I just I look down this list and I see that, you know, on this list, the last five winners include Mike Rabel, Kevin Stefanski and Matt Nagy and not any of the guys that we consider to be like, you know, top three, top five head coaches in this league. And it it starts to get weird for me as to what what direction we want this award to head in the future.
0: Nagy's the very funny one, but, I mean, Vrabel also won the award, the year the Titans got the one seed. I'm fine with that. That's, like, exactly the thing you're describing. That was, like, a team, like, it kind of merges both of yours because it was, like, a team that overperformed expectations and a team that I understand not by DVOA, but like was simultaneously achieved like one of the highest positions you can get in regular season football, because that's so how these awards are based regular season on like one of the highest achievements you can get in that. Like in the regular season is locking up the one seat and that's what the Titans did. So like that kind of ma- uh, marries both of your points.
1: Yeah. That's just one of the five. I'm, it's the one that I have the least trouble with is the Vrabel one. Cause I get, that they got the one seat, but yeah. When you look back on this award and it's Stefanski and it's Matt Nagy and, and there's no, there's no Bella no, Yeah. Now, nah, I mean, Nagy just wants to so shout out Matt Nagy. Congrats on getting your ring. Uh That's going to look really good on the finger for a long time. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a Jason Garrett on here. There's a Bruce Arians with the Cardinals in 2014. Uh You don't, Jim Harbaugh, you don't
0: remember, Jim <laughs> Jim you don't remember how good that Cardinals team we surprised in that Cardinals team was with Carson Palmer. I went back to it. Good group.
1: Hey, congrats to them. Uh, weren't in the Super Bowl that year. Uh, yeah, Jim Harbaugh wins at the year. He doesn't take the Niners to the Super Bowl. It's it's just a weird award. It's uh, it's gone longer than I wanted it to, but it's uh it's something that I I think always like mismatches with how we look back on the season is who ended up winning Coach of the Year.
0: Anything on the player side?
1: I don't know. I mean, Mahomes should have won. Jefferson should have won. Bosa should have won. Gino Smith, like, if you want to adjudicate how we decide what constitutes a comeback, so be it. I think that, you know, even if you want to make the argument that his situation was somewhat self-inflicted, he did come back into being a prominent figure in the NFL, and I'd rather him win it than a player that we knew was great and elite and just happened to get hurt last year like a Christian McCaffrey. Uh, so I'm, I'm all for that one. And then, yeah, Rookies of the Year, I've got no beef with either one.
0: Yeah, uh, the comeback play of the year. The only thing I've got is I think uh, I think it was Stephen Ruiz who had said uh, of the ringer who had said that he came back from people not knowing ball. And that was his comeback story uh, of people not knowing that he was a good quarterback. But yeah, all the rest pretty much hits for me. Uh, No qualms anywhere. Like Depoy was just like Depoy is the only one. It's just because it's a deep field. Like you can maybe go Parsons, but it's really Bosa. Uh, let's close out the show. Hall of Fame. 2023 Hall of Fame inductees officially announced. Joe Thomas, offensive tackle. Darrell Rivas, cornerback. DeMarcus Ware, linebacker. Defensive back, Rondé Barber. Linebacker. Cornerback Ken Riley, defensive lineman Joe Klecko, and a linebacker Zach Thomas. Any big standouts here. Happy to see Revis and Joe Thomas both get in. Very happy to see Don Coryell finally get in despite not being a Super Bowl winner. One of the forefathers of modern NFL offenses and deserves is enshrined in the hall. One of those, like, you can't tell the story of the league without the Eric Correale offense. So he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Beyond that, Jackson, any thoughts?
1: I think Zach Thomas is a fun one. Uh, just like as a personal anecdote, when I was like five years old, I had this obsession with the Dolphins uniforms and the color teal. Uh, So I got like a Zach Thomas jersey for Christmas when I was five years old. So to see like that weirdly come full circle, uh, probably not a lot of teams that I have more like animosity for than the Miami Dolphins nowadays, just as a fan of a rival uh, organization. But now like he's in the Hall of Fame and that's kind of fun for me. I love Jason Taylor as well. I'm glad that he's going to be Is Jason Taylor already in the Hall of Fame? I think he is, right? He has to be, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, but I believe he got in in the past. Couple I was weeks. gonna. I was gonna say because, like, one of the biggest things in our comment section with the Zach Thomas pick was Jason Taylor was always just bigger and more popular. Yeah. And while Zach Thomas was a force, like you thought he might get lost in the wash because of a guy like Taylor overshadowing him. So it's good to see Thomas getting the hall yeah. off that. Taylor's been gone
1: a long time now. I didn't realize. Taylor got inducted in 2017. I thought he might have played till around then. But, yeah, he retired at the end of 2011. So, been a long time uh, since these guys were in the league. And it's nice to be able to, like, look back on their careers now that they've been out for a while. Uh, Thomas and Revis, like, the epitome of guys. Joe Thomas, that is. The epitome of guys who were, like, the peak of their position on bad teams for a long time. And I'm stoked that Revis finally got his ring Uh, When he went to New England that one year and got paid and ended
0: up having a very successful career all the way around. Uh, I want to, I want to, one thing. I know it's not like baseball where they've got the hats with the logo where you got to pick one team to go in with. But they should. One, they should. But two, like the Jets, the Jets had this big, like, real big night of the award show where they have both their rookies uh, get their respective rookies of the year. They have Klecko and Revis both get inducted. And I posted both the Jets responses to the inductees. But Ty Law was the one that gave Revis the notification that he made the Hall and that, like, he was the one that introduced him at the honors Like, is he going into the Hall of Patriot after years of the Jets? No, not even close, Kel.
1: That's a corner to corner thing. Law and I mean, Law and Rebus were never Patriots corner to Patriots corner. I don't know. Law and Rebus <laughs> were never teammates. Darrell Rebus was a patriot for one year. I get how great that year was. He's not going into the hall as a patriot. Don't
0: don't worry. Or don't get excited. It's the, whole, <laughs> the whole thing he wanted at the end of his tenure was ring chasing. The only team he got it with was New England Patriots. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And now he can step back
1: and ring and had a mostly great career with the Jets. Uh, but know. yeah, I mean I'll talk a little bit about like how tough it is to make it into the Hall of Fame too and why these guys deserve so much respect because you look at the list of guys who missed out this year and they're guys who when I was watching them play, they were like people that I couldn't take my eye off of week in and week out. Whether you're talking about Dwight Freeney, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, Jared Allen, Andre Johnson was this like historically great receiver on a historically bad Houston Texans team for a long time and Devin Hester for a while there was like the most electric thing going in the NFL 2006 Devin Hester is like a top five most entertaining player I've ever watched so really tough to make it in when these are the guys getting left out
0: I I'm pretty confident that Allen makes it next year if only for having uh, he should just be in the Hall of Fame for his uh, retirement walk-off which if you do not remember, for those listening at home, uh, he announced his retirement via video of him riding into frame on horseback and then literally riding off into the sunset, which is sick. I've never seen anyone do that before. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna hang it up, and then rode off on a horse. Uh, special stuff. A, a, a weekend quotes highlight of mine. Yeah,
1: I want Patrick. Willis in the Hall of Fame so bad I know he only played eight seasons but like the top of the top eight seasons I mean you talk about from 2007 to 2012 he made the all-pro first or second team every single year all-pro first team all but one of those years pro bowl seven years in a row like he was he, he had a short peak but it was one of the best peaks I've ever watched on defense and between him and Navarro Bowman, that 49ers defense was one of my favorites to watch in my lifetime. So I I want him in the Hall of Fame just because I feel like it. I understand that, like, longevity matters. But as far as a peak goes, it doesn't get much better than his was.
0: Yeah, I'll also throw Dwight Freeney into that mix because Dwight Freeney, just a menace for so long. Yeah, uh, he's kind and- of the
1: opposite, though, where he was like. Yes, he was very dominant. I don't know if he was ever, like, the top of the top of his position, but he did it for so long that he was
0: Yeah, it's a longevity thing. It's a longevity thing. Well, Jackson, that officially closes the book on the 2022 season. Before I get into our outros and our our shout-out to FO+, what are some things you're looking forward to as we head into the 2023 offseason?
1: Put me on the spot so many things though uh we certainly know that free agency is one of your favorite times of year and since i've begun doing content with you i've become more and more enamored with it stuff gets really fun around then uh and then obviously that'll take us right into the draft uh which is gonna be particularly key this year not knowing who's gonna go at the top i expect a lot of trades i expect a lot filtering down And then I think just the overarching theme of this offseason for me is who's going to play quarterback for what team. I know we talked about it last year as well, but I can hardly remember a time in this league's history where there are so many uncertain QB situations as far as like you look at probably 12 teams who don't necessarily know who's going to start for them under center next year. Uh, There's just so much of that to be figuring out, and it's a fun like mental matchmaking game you can play to try and pick who you think is going to end up where we should honestly probably do that just like make a list of all the openings and see how many we can get right do a little competition
0: I listen i'd love that personally uh jackson you this is if you if you're talking about how you're getting pumped for free agency this, this might not be the year to do it but this is a <laughs> running, very, backs. The running, the running back the running running back's more free agent quarterbacks than we've ever seen uh in recent memory. Uh a lot of good like safety talent, uh, some good like rotational edge talent, like those one-year, like an edge you get is like a one-year vulture kind of guy. Like the Clownies or the Justin Houstons or the Melvin Ingrams of the world. Uh what's really gonna be interesting for me, Jackson? This is looking like an all-time buyout market. There are currently 13 teams over the cap. Oh. If you go by effective cap, that number jumps up to 14. This is a lot <laughs> like and teams are like most of those teams are double digit millions over the cap. It is going to be a monster buyout market. Like whether you're looking at like, you know, Bud Duprees or like Byron Jones is like. There's going to be talent. Like I don't know. Aaron Jones is going to be on a buyout market. Like Leonard Fournette's going to be on a buyout market. Maybe Tyler Higby in there. Like so much of the like this is this market is going to get an injection of wide receiver talent, offensive line talent, some additional running back talent somehow coming into this mix. Like teams are going to have to make some very difficult. Decisions either with their roster or their cap structure. One of them is going to give, and it's going to create a massive, massive supplement to what was looking like, I believe you and I described it as like this is a tune up free agency class. This is a free agency class that isn't going to shift the landscape of the NFL, but it's really going to bring some mid teams to, or like some middle to good teams to. Great status and some great status to Super Bowl contending status. Like these are the kind of buy like these are the markets you have that are sort of edge like edge defining things. These are the difference makers that help decide you know contenders and winners. But if we get a good buyout market, that completely changes, and now we've got depth and talent. Like this yeah. could get really good really quickly.
1: And the amount of teams with
0: like thirsty fan
1: bases, you know, under delivering on expectations, whether it's this year or over the past few years, or teams that you know maybe a little bit outgunned in a in a you know arms race, like in the AFC, where Baltimore might be on the fringe of contending, but you look at Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City, all appear to be ahead of them. Uh, you've got the Chargers who were like the big winners last year and ended up you know, having a lot of issues on their roster after paying a lot of money for people like J.C. Jackson. Uh, it's going to be a year where, like, the stakes are really, really high for a lot of teams. So whether it's buyouts, whether it's free agent signings, uh, you know, there's going to be going to be teams trying to make a splash.
0: Jackson, know where they'll be able to find all the latest on all of that news and more. That's right. It's football. Outsiders. Wall. The new show is taking an off-season hiatus and may be coming back in a more sporadic fashion as the season goes on. Those breaking news blogs, they never stop coming. The weekly analysis coming from Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier that's not going to stop. You know what you can't get in on? FO Plus, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Listen, all the DVOA metrics that we've already mentioned today are up there just behind a little $5 a month paywall? You got two decades worth of almanacs. That's right. We're starting back up for another year of almanac production. I'm already digging away at my chapters. I'm assigned to, and boy, am I excited about it. You get all of our fantasy data for when you're, you know, for the real sickos out there that are starting to get out some best ball drafts. Now, That are starting to do some single season dynasty best ball stuff. Like that's where you're getting your info now. You're getting early edge. And I like that about you. You get all our betting data for next year, you get all of our premium articles. Football outsiders, Jackson. I'm talking free agency. They're going to dominate the draft market. We're getting back. We're up in our numbers, Jackson. We were the FO 40 last year. We're going the FO 100. We got the top. 100 NFL draft prospects broken down for you over at Football Outsiders. Jackson, this is going to be an off-season to remember for the FO faithful. We're going to remember it.
1: Make sure that you, you know, just just plug in across the FO universe, you know, like not just in terms of the website, but, you know, you and I are certainly going to continue to be on board and and try to make some exciting off-season content for everybody We'll have an idea of what that looks like soon, but uh, you know, the FO universe is going to continue to evolve and I'm very excited to be a part of it.
0: That'll do it for us on the FO news show. Before we go again, got to thank FO got to thank our producer Ross got to thank social team. What a great year. So lucky to be able to do this. Talk to you guys every week about the latest Across the NFL landscape. Lucky to do this with you, Jackson. What a great, great season. Great way for it to end. And now we're on to an even better off season.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Kale. Thank you, FO, uh, for giving me this platform. Uh, you know, my first official platform in the football content creation space. Uh, only want to continue to do more with you guys, and it's been a great year. Uh, shout out to everyone out there for listening. Uh, We promise we will only continue to make bigger and better content for you moving forward.
0: For Jackson, I'm Kale. We'll see you when we see you.